Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 that little chico pit boom, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide. You already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Bobo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how our life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Hey guys, Perry here. Let's make some mayhem. Shoot and loot your way through a mayhem-fueled adventure in Borderlands 3. Blast through new worlds and enemies as one of four new playable vault hunters, each with deep skill trees, abilities, and customization. Play solo or with your friends to take on insane enemies, score loads of loot, and save the galaxy from a fanatical threat. Mayhem is available now on PC, Xbox One, and PS4. Pre-order now at Borderlands.com. Rated M for Mature. We live in a world of fees. Airlines hotels, food delivery, and especially car dealers all charge excessive last-minute fees. When you want something badly enough, it feels like your only choice is to pay up. But what if you had a choice to take a stand instead? At Carvana, we believe in treating you better. With zero hidden fees, you can drive off without feeling ripped off. That's what it means to live fearlessly with Carvana. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831 On today's Movie Talk, we are discussing the new Jurassic World short film. On top of that, we are chiming in with our very own She-Hulk fan casting for the upcoming Disney Plus show. And then we got to catch up with Jamie Lee Curtis on the red carpet at the Saturn Awards. And she dropped some comments about Halloween kills. And we are excited to discuss those. We are going to have those chats with Coy and Haley, who are our guests today on the show. But as always now, we kick it off with our call sheet, giving you the top five stories of the day. And today, they include, of course, this brand new Jurassic World short. Colin Trevorrow, Colin Trevorrow made this short, and it's called Battle at Big Rock. And it takes place one year after the events of the last Jurassic World film. You can watch the short right now on Collider.com, but you better stay tuned because we are going to give our thoughts on this short later in the show. Next up, the announcement that a She-Hulk show will be joining Marvel's Disney Plus lineup. The search for the perfect Jennifer for that show is probably on right now. And Collider writer Lauren Tommen published a list of 11 actors she thinks would be perfect for that role. To give you a little bit of a tease here, Lauren name-dropped Betty Gilpin and Kerry Washington. You can find the full list over on Collider.com. And also, Coy and Haley are going to share their own picks later in the show. Some big news also from Warner Brothers for Funko fans. Warner Animation Group and Funko will develop and produce a film that will be based on the figures. Here is what Funko CEO Brian Mariotti had to say about this brand new deal. 
We're thrilled for this opportunity and are committed to making an amazing Funko movie that stands on its own merit. This isn't about selling toys or building a brand. The team at Warner Animation Group have a unique vision of what the film should be, and we are extremely excited to take this journey alongside them. Moving on, M. Night Shyamalan is staying in the Universal Pictures family for his next two projects. The studio announced today that it's going to release one of his next movies on February 26th, 2021, and then the next one on February 17th, 2023, respectively. The title, cast, and plot details are firmly under wraps, but the announcement described both of them as original thrillers. And finally, Roca got to catch up with Jamie Lee Curtis on the red carpet for the Saturn Awards. She shared some Collider love and then also a little bit of information on what you can expect from the next two Halloween movies. Check out this clip right now. Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, John Roca, Ford Collider. Uh, yeah. Amazing. We your love it. Original review. I mean, your original your review of Halloween was the first one I was shown. Oh, that's great. Here. And you guys have been amazing. Amazing. You guys were in uh, Toronto, also. Yep. Yes. Yep. Harry Emberoff, uh, Steve Weintraub, uh, Haley, Haley Fouch, all big fans of the horror genre, all massive fans of you coming back to uh, Halloween. But I. Remember seeing the original. I'm of an older age than them and saw the original, and I was incredibly excited to have you come back to it, and you really kicked some ass. So what was that experience like for you, finally stepping back in and getting to kick some ass on your own? Well, I mean, it's funny. The ass-kicking part is the fan-favorite part, but from my standpoint, I didn't go into it to because I got to kick Michael's bottom. I, I went... I was particularly drawn because it was a movie about trauma and about what happens. You know, we, we have horror movies that are horrific, and we have these horrific events that take place, but we leave the movie theater, and then we complain that the dishwasher doesn't work. You know, the trauma that occurs for these characters for 40 years, I felt was very important that David understood that and was and was really giving Lori great honor to acknowledge that her experience of her life was very challenged yeah. and then kick his ass you know what i mean and then you realize that in fact it was all like a spider's web yeah but in order to go to the spider's web you also had to see the very fragile person and i was grateful that that was the angle mm -hmm. i think if from the opening session i was kicking but i think it wouldn't have had the emotional response that i think people actually had that's a fantastic answer because it's absolutely true in order to do one thing you have to lay the groundwork for the other you've got two going on that was the original halloween you know yes. the original halloween you cared about Lori. Right. Her poor little repressed virginity. <laughs> and her sort of, the, you know, when yeah. Annie says, poor Lori, scared another one away. It, it was, you understood this was this repressed young girl yeah. who wanted love. And maybe why Michael saw her as the perfect victim for Which himself exactly, and not so, and and, yeah, got surprised. I heard her sing the song, I wish I had you all alone, just the two of us. I would hold you close to me so close. You know, she's a, she was longing yeah. for love. And I like that that was how we approached it. Right. Well, you're shooting these two. Are you shooting them right now back to back? No, What's the plan? Same tone? One right now with Kyle coming back as Lindsay. Um, and Anthony Michael Hall has come back to sort of step into Tommy Wallace's shoes. Right. And then what I love is what David and Danny and company did is they took, they made the original, they connected the dots for 40 years. Yes. Now they're going back to really unpack the first movie, bringing back all those characters whose lives were affected right. by what happened in 1978. And then the last movie is the sort of cultural phenomenon of violence that's what the, the third movie ultimately is a very powerful uh, uh, examination of violence I promise you what David Gordon Green has 
come up with as a way to complete this trilogy is sensational. All right, we're all excited for it. Thanks, Thanks. Collider. You guys have been amazing. I'll let them all know. Thank you, Jane. Really, really supportive. I don't think we could have better discussion topics for today's panelists. An official welcome to Haley and Coy. Hi, hi. I am so excited to dig into these Halloween quotes, specifically with you, Haley, because she says something very particular about the first movie and this idea of unpacking the first movie in Halloween Kills. And I feel like you can probably interpret that more ways than one. So what do you think about that quotes and what, what could it mean for the next Halloween movie? I mean, I guess I'm just taking it at really face value, given her her preceding set of quotes about what, you know, what meant the most mm-hmm. to her in the first one was digging into trauma. And she's saying that they're, you know, they're bringing back multiple characters who also survived that trauma this time around. So to me, I, it means a further digging into basically the the effect of that attack on people's lives and what that what that means to live with that for 40 years and not just for Lori, but for the other people who are also involved in that sort of horrifying, traumatic incident and what yeah. it means for them. Because honestly, there's not much to unpack in the first film beyond that. It, it's a beautiful movie, but it's a simple movie. So, well, actually, and this is just spitballing here to offer another potential angle, unpacking her trauma. Is there any chance you think we could be unpacking what Michael has gone through at all? I don't think so, based on the way that, you know, Danny and David Gordon Gray talk about the character. The character, they don't seem interested in that sort of Rob Zombie approach to Michael Myers. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've changed their mind since doing press for the first film. But it just, you know, they they seemed committed to him as the idea of a force more than a man. Yeah. No, that that probably makes sense. And I think I would side with you on that question (laughs) right now. I just really love seeing the continuation of a franchise that will potentially deliver another installment that could maybe make us look at the original film, an original film that I've watched like dozens, if not hundreds of times. And be able to see it with kind of like a, a fresh set of eyes in a sense it's tricky though because that's that can be good or bad it as we be. both know from independence day <laughs> oh, like you yeah. don't want something that retroactively ruins the first one for you man yeah i still i still haven't quite been able it's to shake that hard one. to recover from so my favorite thing about the sequel to that is that in both oh, movies no. where will smith doesn't reprise his role in a sequel they write him off with a painting <laughs> That's both, so true. In both the movies, <gasps> for some reason, Will Smith's like, and now he's a I, painting. <laughs> I can't believe it took me that long to yeah. realize this. When, no, yeah. when Will Smith doesn't come back, they give him a monologue, a single line of write-off, and a painting. And that's so how they send off Will Smith. So as long as you don't write a Will Smith painting into your script, you, you should be pretty good. That's how you get him back. Uh, Koi, let's uh, get you to catch us up on your Halloween appreciation. What was your experience with the original film the first time you saw it? What did you think of the last one? And does... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's quotes make you any more excited for Halloween Kills? I very much appreciate that they went from Halloween from the 70s to Halloween now. And I like that they skipped a lot of movies that we'd kind of just gone through. And I like when when franchises trust their audience enough to be like, hey, this is the way we're going to do it. So I'm cautiously optimistic about Halloween Kills being something that acknowledges only those two films. Because those are the ones that have the most lean continuity. We don't have to talk about Halloween H2O, just Gordon-Levitt notwithstanding. We don't have to (laughs) dive into all the different continuities and messes they made. But I, I really am concerned concerned about the the kind of the, the shape uh getting too much uh like like the rob zombie approach you were talking about i i like michael myers being just a concept a force of nature this crazy entity so when i watch halloween what i get out of it is the, it's like a hurricane he's a force of nature that i don't want to humanize too much i like that i'm terrified of the blunt force trauma what separates halloween from scream or even jason is just the sheer blunt brutality it's it's there's no other reason for it it's happening mm-hmm. once you give it a lot of backstory you start to humanize something that should be inhuman to me but that's just my opinion on halloween well now that you like you explain it that way and i'm thinking about all the events of of the 2018 movie, it really does feel like they put a stop to that because the podcasters in that movie, their whole initiative yeah, was to, to dig into what drove Michael and they failed at that. And I feel like that might have been them shutting the door on that aspect of the franchise and hopefully focusing more so on the trio and maybe unpacking it in the sense of how how does what Lori went through back in the 70s affect every single generation of her family? Because in addition of having three generations to 
to this family. They also tease that Cameron, the person that the the young guy that she was dating in uh, the 2018 film, he's uh, Lonnie's son. Mm. So that's another character from the original movie that could have maybe not a direct influence, uh, but, you know, he's he's represented through his child. Yeah, and just, you know, for the, the shape, it, it, they also, a big part of the reason why they got rid of the sequel stuff is because it made him the brother, right? And when we were on set, Danny McBride was like, well, I didn't want to do that because he's not my brother, so it's not scary. <laughs> like, So yeah. I think they just want to keep him scary. And, you know, it, unpacking the the town essentially mm-hmm. is much more interesting to me, especially with what she said about how the, the third film is essentially going to address the phenomena of violence at large. That it, when you look at, if you take a film to look at basically the society of a town that was ruined by violence, that really sets the stage for a film that then makes, you know, an analysis of violence itself. Well, and the human element is what makes movies scary, is if you're endeared to the people getting killed, not the killer for me. I want to yeah. be afraid for those on the on the receiving end of the horrors, not empathizing with the person, like, causing the violence. So I like that the town is so well established as, like, you care about individuals really quickly if it's written well. You're instantly like, ah, oh, a neighbor. Uh, and especially with this franchise, you've got three generations now so you're invested in multiple tiers of, of groups of people and it's Jamie Lee Curtis as the oldest one so I really I mean who doesn't love Jamie Lee Curtis so the fact that you are automatically endeared to her daughter and her granddaughter with one movie you can really branch out so much from there and also as like I think one of the greatest characters in movie history is the grandpa from Lost Boys and because <laughs> of the grandpa from Lost Boys I love every single member of his family from the jump like as soon as you meet grandpa you're like everyone he's ever been related to is great and I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis has that so you're automatically there and uh, Santa Cruz should be in more movies. Lost I also Boys, feel yeah. like we uh, we can't move on <laughs> without a Jamie Lee, a Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Grandpa Lost Boys. Ship. Oh, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yes, and I also think think that every single show needs a brief moment to recognize how incredible Jamie Lee Curtis is because Agreed. she is she She's is a, a freaking delight. You were talking about it before uh, before we started the show. It's just you know how open she is to talk about all this kind of stuff and how excited she is too. I mean that kind of thing is infectious when you're such a big fan of a franchise. So. Huge thanks to her and everybody working on these movies for getting us all excited. If you want some more Halloween content, Ryan Turek from Blumhouse has been posting some behind-the-scenes stuff, so I highly recommend following him on Instagram because those movies aren't all that far away. We're going to see a lot of content from Halloween coming on the internet, and we're going to cover it all right here on Collider Movie Talk. All right, story number two. I, As sad as I was to move on from Halloween, I am so excited to be moving from Halloween to Jurassic World, <laughs> especially because... It's your show. We're talking about, I, really, like, this is kind of a dream come true lineup today. The fact that we got a Jurassic World short film out of nowhere was just a delight all on its own. That short was freaking phenomenal. I mean, that that short is big screen cinematic levels of, of action and dinosaurs. And uh, speaking of actually social media stuff right now, Colin Trevorrow is on Twitter right now sharing all this stuff that they did uh, behind the scenes, the dino models, the, the little model that they used for the trailer. The performance in this thing is something, I don't know, clearly I'm blown away by it. What did you guys think of the Battle of Big Rock? Does this kind of hold you over until we get the next next Jurassic movie in 2021? Better. It's actually my favorite thing since Lost World. Okay. I, I, I liked this more than JP3 or Jurassic World 1 and 2. I really, I needed something to, for me, be a palate cleanser. I don't, mm. I don't dislike much, but the Jurassic Worlds didn't really land for me. And I definitely, it felt like I was sacrificing my Jurassic Park childhood by being like, well, this is the way we're going, huh? Okay, sure. There's the best, so it must be cool. And I just, it, it didn't work for me because I, I love Star-Lord Chris Pratt and I love Parks and Rec Chris Pratt, but I never quite bought Indiana Jones Chris Pratt. So I, I really struggled with heels, Bryce Dallas Howard. Like there were so many things that just added up to me being like, all right, well, it sure is a movie. So this to me was everything I loved about Jurassic Park. It was actually investing in how scary dinosaurs can be. It felt like a theme park ride in a good way, not a bad way. You had that that visceral escalating action. You instantly cared about every character. The writing is so good. The acting is so good. You're, you're invested in this family. And it doesn't have to world build because Jurassic World should already be world built. Shouldn't have to explain why this is scary. Make it scary. Make it work. And at no point did it feel out of place. I, I never thought we'd see them in North America and have it work for me. And this movie didn't even need to explain how because I knew just enough from trying to be invested in Jurassic World to be invested here. And it, it landed. All eight minutes were great. I don't know. 
know if I'm ready to say that I like this uh, more than anything else I've seen since the first Jurassic. Because also, it's like with Jurassic World, when when. Yeah, I don't know. I grew up such an obsessed fan for so long, like dreaming of, yes, I know John Hammond's original vision had a million and one red flags going up, but the idea of being able to see that dream come to fruition, there's just something magical about that idea that I think is always going to have the first Jurassic World completely win me over. But there's something about this. It's It's got more of like a, like a grounded, textured vibe mm-hmm. that reminded me a lot of some of the more intimate scenes from the first movie, like in particular the stuff with uh, Lex, Tim, and Alan after the T-Rex breaks out of the paddock. Something about this short reminded me of that feel when they're kind of like down on the ground and climbing up into the tree. Obviously, those aren't attack scenes, but there's something about the way this is shot that made me feel like I was in the trailer right with them, like I was in that tree with the three of them. Mm. Were you into it? Oh, yeah, totally. Um I, I actually am a weird person who really loves Fallen Kingdom. I think it's a super fun, like, big-budget B-movie that should have never been made, and I'm <laughs> just amazed that it exists. Like, uh, I, I'm never not going to love a dinosaur. Cool guys don't look at explosions. Like, that's <laughs> awesome. So I, I do really enjoy that movie. But this this is a fun next step, and I think it's it's um, it makes me more curious to see what Jurassic World 3 is going to be like, because this feels like what we assumed that movie would mm. be, would be this kind of a scene, but in a full feature-length film. Maybe it will be. Maybe this is a, just a taster. But my favorite thing about this is that it was a secret, that it launched on TV, and it... it it's the kind of thing that if this had happened during fall season when I would was a kid, it'd be like an iconic Halloween memory for me. Like, yo, remember when that Jurassic Park short dropped? That was yeah. like the best Halloween. So I love that kind of feel. It instantly made me feel like a kid again, not for the reasons you said, but just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a special moment for people who got to experience it live. Even watching it the next morning online was very cool. But I, I think it's... It's a lovely short. I just, it captures something really seasonal and powerful for me that I like even more. I, I'm a, a, a second apologist, like the Lost World apologist. I really like so many parts of the Lost World. So to me, having that, uh, the, the, the tip over remind me of the Jeff Goldblum, yes. like trailer tip over. And there's so many moments that feel like old Spielberg Amblin to me in this that I didn't, I think that's what, the, I think maybe that's what I didn't like about Jurassic World is it didn't feel like Jurassic Park. Yeah. Like it felt like what you're describing, which is like the B movie dinosaur movie, which maybe if I rewatch it with that, I might enjoy it because the whole it's time I was like, like give me Jurassic Park. And I was like, <laughs> Sure, our dinosaurs here, and I kept trying to strong arm my brain into being like, "This is what you want, right?" But if I watch it like that, that that sounds enjoyable. So to me, this captured the technology advancing, catching up, plus mm-hmm. that feel of Amblin and like amazingly endearing characters so quickly. Like I don't know why I love Doctor Grant so much, but I do, and I don't know why I forgive so many bad choices in Lost World, but I do. So this captured that in a way that I really felt special. It really is incredible how quickly he sells this family <laughs> and makes you like completely fall. I, like I cared about these individuals within seconds of meeting them, which is quite the accomplishment. I wanted to get your thoughts on the release of this short period just what does it mean to have a short film like this come out when they have such a big gap between fallen kingdom and jurassic world 3 and is it the type of thing where you want to see more shorts especially when you take into account you know the budget because this thing doesn't look like it was a a throwaway (laughs) opportunity it looks like they spent a good deal on this I always want more dinosaurs if we're talking specifically (laughs) jurassic then yes more shorts please um i in general i think it's I, I mean, I don't know. Business-wise, we'll have to see if this this seems to have conjured a big, passionate mm-hmm. response that maybe has been missing from the Jurassic fandom for yeah. the reasons we've been discussing. <laughs> um, but just from a from a viewership perspective, absolutely, I love a surprise. Especially like you say, a big budget. This looks really good. This is a great surprise. This is not a half-ass surprise. Yeah. Um, I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I think it is a really good way in between, like you said, such a massive break between films to keep people going like, oh, right, that is one of the biggest franchises in the world. I do love dinosaurs, especially at Halloween. It's weird thinking about this because also uh, a lot of people out there know I watch uh, Star Trek Discovery and they've been releasing the shorts also to fill in certain gaps of the story. And 
even though those shorts might be very good, this had a different effect because it was, again, dropped out of nowhere. It was completely free, too, where you can go on YouTube and watch it, you know, whether or not you're a subscriber to something. It's just I'm trying to figure out what is changing with the models out there, because, of course, we have Quibi with short form, uh, you know, bite sized storytelling. Like, what is the best way with all these big franchises out there out there for them to make a difference in between enormous installments? Because especially with all the reboots we've been getting, it's like bringing up Men in Black. The Men in Black enthusiasm, I think, fizzled out. Yes, the movie wasn't that great, but we need to find a way to keep these epic franchises epic through the continued enthusiasm in between installments. I think we should let format die. Like, I don't think we should live by any structure. I think that if there's content that works, you should let it be. Like, Endgame was damn near three hours. It was a three-hour movie, and that's because that's the story that needed to be told. They didn't try to make two one-and-a-half-hour movies because it was a comic movie. I think all of these, these it, it's archaic to look at runtime and be like, that's what that is. So I think that if something works, this is the amount of story that needed to be told to get me excited again. It doesn't matter that it's eight minutes. If, if it could have been told in two minutes, sure, but don't release it in four sets of two minutes. It's an eight-minute story released <laughs> as eight minutes, and I feel like if this came out if the technology was available and this came out in the early 2000s it would have been four two-minute chunks and they would have put like little teases in it they would have been like and then tune in next week for more big black rock fight like they would have like made that a thing and this instead made it i'm i'm invested i didn't see the last jurassic world for the first five weeks of it release i didn't care and i love jurassic park i didn't see that movie till it was almost out of theaters and then i was still like eh. This means I'm there opening night. So this sold a person that was done with the franchise. This sold a person that was, like, checked out, that loved it as a kid, that broke his VHS copy of Lost World, the holographic cover. I ran it out. So... I think release things that if you're invested in the property, especially if a big gap, and especially if you're kind of apologizing, this is a great way to show long form, but not too long form, what you're intending. And they've been talking about shows forever. This showed me that we can have a Jurassic Park show. This showed me that there's so many ways to do this because I didn't need to see this on a big screen to be excited. I'd like to, but I, I don't think we should live by format. I think this could play in front of a movie just like old shorts used to. I'd be just excited to be surprised by it. I think we should stop living with these two and a half minute trailer, hour and a half movie, all of these strange little things that we invented. I'm mildly obsessed with the anthology format, and I believe that more anthology films should be hitting the big screen. So that's where my mind is going right now, <laughs> because I am betting that Jurassic World 3 is going to be, you know, dealing with the big picture of the fallout of Fallen Kingdom, where, let's say, Bryce Dallas Howard and uh, Chris Pratt come back, and they're dealing with the larger issue. They're trying to find a solution to the big picture. What if, in between the events of Fallen Kingdom and and uh, Jurassic World 3, we just got more of this where it was short, 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 short. And it was I don't I don't even know if you need any kind of wraparound just where people across the country are dealing with dinosaur encounters, whether it's a dangerous one like this or something really good. Who knows? Maybe someone out there has a dinosaur as a pet and someone's like, no, you can't do that. That's an interesting the scenario. The credits in this were great. Exactly. Just the, 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 the was, credit, what, five the second blips of it. stuff. Yes. And that's what comic books are, is those little tiny stories that tell you the fill-in stuff. So give us these as serialized comics that tie into the world. That's why the MCU works is because there's so many side missions that lead to something or don't make that this. You, you made a world out of a park use it i'm so sold i want this i want this to be i don't want to be greedy because we just got this short out of nowhere but i want more this would have been like 40 million dollars 10 years ago like i don't i watched this like how just how it it wasn't 40 million dollars but like it's clearly not cheap how do they make money off of this short what's like the business model here like it's it's fun to go like yes we should have a thousand of these but that's that's part of the reason why i asked you guys about just like the release structure and what this really means and and you kind of said it koi i think i think koi is the uh, the proof that there is money in I'm an back. idea like this because, <laughs> ah, yes, yes. because it wasn't a priority. And this said to you, I need to buy a ticket to Jurassic World 3 mm-hmm. when it hits theaters. And if that's the results of shorts like these, that's great. And the last two made over a billion. Did the second one make over a billion? I know the first one did. So they both made over a billion. So they've got a little, not like they've got money. But, you know, yeah. if it's a franchise doing that well and you want to get the people that have fallen off, then I think this is a great opportunity. And if it's something that's a known property, I guarantee toy sales are going to spike this week. I guarantee mm-hmm. all the side missions of, of the film franchise are going to do great. So I think if, if this does well, hopefully that means we get more in the worlds of Star Wars and Star, like the fandoms that are known fandoms. This could like inspire a lot of that and then we could have shorts more. I didn't need to be inspired any more than I already was, <laughs> but I'm happy that I kind of was. I'm, I'm so freaking thrilled right now. So 
Yeah, that is our thoughts on the new Jurassic World short. Again, if you have not seen it for yourself, please go over to Collider.com. We've got an article on it right there where you can watch it. Now, before we move on to our next topic, which is our uh, She-Hulk fan casting, we got a couple of shows to tell you about on the Collider Video YouTube channel. Here are some promos. Hey everyone, John Roca here, the host of Collider Sports Time. Well, you know, if you've been watching us every week, you know we break down the latest and the greatest in the world of sports, talk about the big issues, the big games, all of it with a rotating band of guests like Matt Nose and Josh McCuga. We've had Taylor Vashadi on. We've had so many great guests. Now, if you want to see more of Sports Time or you want to try it out for the first time, remember to subscribe to Collider Sports YouTube channel for all the sports goodness. Hi, I'm Amy Dallin, one of the hosts of Collider Heroes. And starting right now, you can catch our show Tuesday nights with a new Collider Heroes and a longer Collider Heroes podcast where Koi and I are going to talk your ears off. You already know that's coming. So make sure to go to YouTube, subscribe, and find us on the Collider Heroes podcast feed for all of that sweaty goodness. All right. Who's ready to talk some She-Hulk? I really dug this list, but one of the things that the list uh, showed to me is that there are endless possibilities as far as the casting goes. So I think a good place to start is a little She-Hulk 101, just to kind of narrow our focus a little, if that's even where it's going to lead. So, Koi, I leave it to you. Tell us who She-Hulk is. Just ask me to narrow your focus and ask me on a comic property. Uh, Jennifer Walters is an amazing character that actually broke the fourth wall before Deadpool. Uh, she wasn't the first to break the fourth wall, but she was a mainstream character that did it very publicly. She spoke to you from the comic book cover. She told you to buy her book. Uh, one of my favorite runs is by John Byrne, and that kind of reshaped the character in a very specific way. She is Bruce Banner's cousin, and Bruce Banner has often been a fugitive, so he was on the run, didn't know who to call, hadn't seen his favorite cousin in years, went to California while on the run, and called up Jennifer Walters. She gets hurt as a result of Bruce Banner being the Hulk, and therefore... He completely feels responsible for the situation and gives her a blood transfusion, and he's gamut radiated, so that transfusion turns her into the Hulk, and she has a different power set. She can stay calm in times of this. She's also, at many times, just stayed as the Hulk by choice. She's just like, well, this is who I am now. She embraces the Hulk way earlier than Bruce Banner does, and she seemingly has much more control over her emotions throughout. There are times where she hulks out she doesn't intend to, but overall, she's able to do that. Um, the character also, depending on the writers, had a lot of different variations. Like, right now, Jason Aaron... Um, uh, responsible for the very iconic Jane Foster Lady Thor uh, is writing her as kind of like Thor's lover out of her like demanding someone worthy of her. So she's like, oh, I'm the Hulk and no, none of these mortals are worthy. So she like pursues the Hulk as the only one that like she can smash with. And it's a really cool storyline because it's this really empowering like who would the Hulk date? Like who's worthy of the Hulk? So she's a, a brilliant lawyer, a force to be reckoned with. And there's that Odin son guy. So <laughs> they uh, they have this whole Avengers romp and that's really fun to see that dynamic of the character um but she's also really good friends with like spider woman and captain marvel and there's a lot of really good storylines that are like girls day out with superheroes and there's a, i mean comics are a bro club so it's really good to see these strong characters get to have like girl dates and go on these adventures and spider woman's a mom and dealing with being a parent as a superhero and dealing with being a working mother and dealing with being a lawyer that isn't taken seriously because she's the hulk uh and she also like is a rival to Matt Murdock as far as how good she is and her being a superhero lawyer. So there's a lot of law stuff. So the actress needs to be incredibly likable uh, because it's a tricky character to land the snark and funny uh, needs to be able to speak lawyer jargon very, very easily. And lawyer jargon is not an easy thing to pull off while also doing superhero stuff. And also doesn't need to be five foot 11 to six foot four because they're going <laughs> to use CGI to transform her. All of the, like she can be, but she doesn't have to be all the casting breakdowns are like, She's the Hulk. I'm like, yeah, so is Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> He's a little guy. So uh, I think it's more important that the actress be talented, likable, versatile, all of the things that make Jennifer Walters interesting. Cast Jennifer Walters. Don't cast She-Hulk. Okay, let's go around first with uh, Lauren's list. If you guys could each pick one person from the list that Lauren posted on Collider.com and say, of these 11 people, that's my favorite. Who would you choose and why? The surprise, the one that I hadn't thought of, and I'm like, that is totally it. Support bet like like first runner up Kylie Burnberry because I hadn't thought of that she's incredible Blake Lively mm. would be amazing she's so funny she's so charismatic I feel like people aren't giving her the 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 due of like she keeps up with Ryan Reynolds 
for like tit for tat humor. Like Ryan Reynolds, one of the snarkiest, funny people. On the, I can't imagine living with Ryan Reynolds, and I love him. She has babies with him, so that means she must have a great sense of humor and is really funny in social media. The way they interact with each other, I would love Jennifer Walters to have that kind of snark and versatility. But also, Blake Lively is such a boss; like she carries herself well. And I feel like a lot of people just see her as sister to the traveling pants. I'd like to see her get taken seriously because she's done a lot of incredible dramas and independent work since. And I think she's way more than just the girl in shark movies and traveling pants. Uh, so Blake Lively, she's great in the shark movie. <laughs> but for the record, no, I'm like, no, you're not in toy. They probably know. <laughs> but also, if you if you haven't seen a simple favor, she's phenomenal yes. in that, and she absolutely has this fast talking, really witty dialogue that would be perfect for what you were just describing. That was when I hadn't thought of it all that I Same. also thought was really good. But also, like, how do you mess with Betty Gilpin, who's just too good of a choice and, and like since since the hunt got taken away I'd love to see her have something that pushes her even more into the sort of cultural awareness I mean I know a lot of people watch Glow and Netflix is huge but it's not something like the MCU or a, a major theatrical release I think she definitely deserves that kind of role she's absolutely got the funnies she's got the drama she's got the charisma we know she can do physical performance she's just like it's the first one on Lauren's list, and it was like, oh, well, you... Done. You, you did it? <laughs> oh, that one. Okay. Yeah, exactly. One plus ten. I see her 11. Yeah. If, I had a, if I had to pick one as well, it would definitely be Betty Gilpin. And I think she is phenomenal across the board. It might be because Glow Season 3 is so fresh in my mind, and she's so good in that. Yeah. Because in that season in particular, not only is she doing all the in-the-ring type stuff, but she's also dealing as a producer with everything going on around it, which I think, again, ties yeah. to the lawyer jargon that you kind of just explained. But to throw another name... All right, I'm going to throw two other names from this list out there, actually. For whatever reason, Rosario Dawson is just always <laughs> someone that I picture to be a major part in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at some point, and she's so good that I feel like throw her into any role. I don't really care who you cast her as. I am going to be behind that choice. And then the one that I got the kick out of most is Kristen Stewart. I feel like I almost want to see it happen just because I never would have connected her to, again, she is another one that I think is great, mm -hmm. and she does have more range than I think many assume because, you know, I mean her and Robert Pattinson, they're just never getting out of that, the, the Twilight thing that they all started with, but Everything that I've seen her in, she doesn't necessarily say to me, like, like Hulk out. And I know you said that she keeps calm and she can control it better. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's something about Kristen Stewart that I never would picture for this role. So having that kind of challenge thrown in her lap really excites me. But now... On to our own picks. I've, I've got three draft picks I of my own. Feeling. Okay, I had a feeling. I had a feeling good about it. I have forever wanted Emily Blunt in the MCU. Mm -hmm. I wanted her as Captain Marvel personally. I have nothing against Brie Larson, but for me, Emily Blunt is Captain Marvel. She was almost Black Widow. They clearly have her phone number. Uh, <laughs> I really love the physicality Emily Blunt brings to things, but also the the D23 panel where her and The Rock came out, it was like 45 seconds of them, and I was like, oh, this is the buddy cop movie I never knew I wanted. I want that like buddy cop aspect to She-Hulk and Emily Blunt. She's she's so good at handling so many different writers. She's so, so good at handling... like I was rewatching Charlie Wilson's word the other day and I forgot Emily Blunt was in it for a second uh, like she's just so good at all different types of dialogue and I really think this should have that Aaron Sorkin flavor to it uh, my second pick is Rachel Brosnahan who is yes. Amy Sherman Palladino arguably yes, the yes, better Aaron yes. Sorkin or the the other Aaron Sorkin type uh, and that kind of flavor of dialogue I really appreciate huh. and Rachel Brosnahan can handle comedy she can handle difficult drama scenes she has a physicality to her that's amazing and that's a huge part of the show so I would love a marvelous Mrs. She-Hulk uh, and then finally I <laughs> I think an actress that always shows up as a doctor that people don't give enough credit for because she's gorgeous and somehow always makes the doctor role seem like, like, how is she landing this? Emily, uh, Olivia Munn. Uh, I think Olivia Munn is real slept on. Uh, I love the newsroom unapologetically, and I... Like I said, unapologetically. But Olivia Munn and that always made me believe, like, someone can talk like that. No, no one talks like that. But she can, and she always makes the, the doctor jargon, and I imagine lawyer jargon, land in a way that you buy so much that shouldn't work. And I think that that's really important for She-Hulk. So Olivia Munn's my third. All right, Haley, what you got? What are you adding to the list? Uh, well... I realize that a lot of my casting, I'm basically just ripping off NBC. <laughs> like, <laughs> they do really good casting over there on their sitcoms. So basically anyone from The Good Place, but especially, and you make a good point, she does not have to be a large woman, but Kristen Bell is a phenomenal, just 
fast talking, can do anything. I don't know if you guys haven't seen her hot ones. That woman <laughs> is a force. She like racks those wings up to the top one. I've had all those hot sauces up the top layer. They're not a freaking joke. She does not flinch. She so auditioned hot ones. I love No, 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 I'm not done. <laughs> so while she's doing this, he's like, can you explain philosophy to me? And she absolutely does without flinching, just breaks down philosophy really quickly while she's got a mouthful of the hottest hot sauce in the world. That's, I mean caster but uh she's just i think she's really amazing i'm a huge fan of hers going back to veronica mars and even uh she was wow reefer madness that was like a big part of me being a theater kid i love her i think she would be an unexpected good pick but also like um i darcy carden who plays janet would be a weird curveball pick she's so talented and uh that would be something out of left field and i, I feel that marvel always surprises me and goes like Oh, yeah, that is perfect, but I didn't think of that. Yeah. Mark mm. Ruffalo. Yeah. Um, also, Stephanie Beatriz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, also a phenomenal comedic actress who I, I haven't really seen her do more dramatic stuff, so that's more of just me liking what she does with comedy and the way she plays like a tough character on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think she's excellent. I, I just like... One of those roles where you could really go on forever. There are so yeah. many good options. It's... I... I know a lot of people really are clinging, like you said, to this physicality, which kind of pointed my brain there at first in a lot of ways, sure. too. So people like Rosario Dawson did come to mind first. Or, um, oh gosh, what's her name? Yvonne Straf... Straf-, Straf- Why can I not pull it? Uh, Strahovski? Yes. Yes. Straf- yeah, I think yeah. Sorry, Yvonne. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's a huge fan of movie talk. I know she's watching. <laughs> But not again just to catch yeah, the show. Yeah. Good morning. But she's she's really good in in you know anything you put her in. I think she's really good. She does have that physicality. Mm-hmm. She's a tall, mm-hmm. broader woman, and I think she could be really good. But it is like my brain just goes bing, 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 bing. Well, funny thing is, uh, speaking of Handmaid's Tale, Elizabeth Moss did come to mind as ah. someone who I think again has endless range. Has proven that she can be. I mean, really, when she fights back on Handmaid's Tale, she can be a very imposing figure, and she has a really commanding presence that I think could suit the role quite well and then the other name that came to mind because I am a diehard Orphan Black fan and I think it is only a matter of time before Tatiana Maslany just like conquers like the MCU or Star Wars. She was in talks for Star Wars Rogue One at a point, or not in talks, but she was up for the role of Jyn Erso. And I love Felicity Jones, but because I was so obsessed with Orphan Black, I couldn't help but to root for her. And ever since then, if she wants a kind of, you know, a big franchise opportunity, I think she has all the ability in the world to just take one of those opportunities and really run with it. So why not She-Hulk? And that's the most exciting thing about She-Hulk is that We could go on and on. I just love the idea that when they announce whoever is going to take this role, we're not boxed into a very, like, small range of options here. Like, there are so many possibilities, and I'm excited to see them hopefully, like, surprise and encourage and just really get me pumped for this show and really every other Disney Plus thing that's coming our way because no doubt this is all going to be connected. Actually, before we move on, I really wanted to follow up on something you had said earlier about the difference between uh, Jennifer and Bruce Mm -hmm. and how they handle the ability to, I guess, Hulk out. Do you think that in in order to explore that more, we're going to wind up seeing a She-Hulk show with maybe an appearance from Mark Ruffalo? Because comparing the two sounds like a really interesting idea to me. I think he'll appear. I don't think he'll be like a consistent player, but I think just like any show based off a movie and and vice versa, there's got to be that tie-in and there's no way Mark Ruffalo, like, he loves playing the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a real opportunity here. Plus, the Hulk is currently injured. The Hulk currently has the one arm. Spoilers for Endgame, which made billions of dollars. You've probably seen it. But I imagine there's going to be a lot of him experimenting with science. So maybe that turning into something that causes his cousin to get the powers. I think there's definitely got to be a scene with them too. Plus, some training, some her dealing with all those things. Like, there's definitely got to have that involved. And Bruce Banner loves to experiment. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of, like, take and give between the two of them. And that banter is going to endear us to... We love Mark Ruffalo. So Introducing She-Hulk through that is going to endear us to the actress very quickly. Uh, and I really want a California set show. I want something that's not New York. I want, and like, you know, West Coast Avengers. I think Young Avengers is coming. I think it might be West Coast. I think things are, might start shift over here. There's a lot of California-based characters they're doing. I would like to have some, some different flavor than just like one city in America. You know what's so cool about today's show? There were three topics that all made me really excited about whatever <laughs> show or movie is coming. I don't know. It's just a thrill to get that first We're living change. in an amazing yeah. time yeah. in fandom. Like, 
it's a very glorious, like, everything we dreamed of as kids is actually, we, an eight-minute Jurassic Park short Seriously. that had more budget than most movies just popped up <laughs> randomly on the internet. Also, Mila Kunis. Forgetting oh, Sarah Marshall. Oh, yeah, yes. Kristen Bell, like, I was like, the other, yeah, I think that Mila Kunis would be good, an incredible one. Mila Kunis would right. also, love, Betty Gilpin, Allison Brie. Like, oh, yeah. another good, I mean, really pulled almost anybody from Glow it, it, right. and I'm sold because <laughs> what they do at the ensemble in season three proves that, yes, Betty Gilpin and Allison Brie are wonderful headliners, but they have so many members of that ensemble that are bound to break out. And Kerry Washington, I saw on that list, yeah. her carrying mm. shows, I'd love to see her carry like a long form. Like, this is going to be a movie. It's going to be like a six-hour movie. I want to see her carry something like that. I think she'd be incredible, too. We also have one more name being tossed in from the live chat. Steve Young says, uh, Jennifer Aniston would be great to be Jennifer Walters, right age group, right size, visually plausible choice to play a Ruffalo Banner cousin. Do the CG mocap boom you got she-hulk so uh steve throws in jennifer aniston as well All i right. was under the impression she's a younger character is she not i i think of her as being younger it's another thing she can be really anything she's got to be a yeah. lawyer aged woman so she's you oh, know great. out of out of college yeah. uh, i picture her in her early to mid 30s but she could absolutely be however i don't know how old jennifer aniston is like 40s is that maybe yeah but i would i would love to see an older female superhero like on the level that we get with Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo as far as being aged up a little bit that would be awesome and her being a lawyer really allows for that I think it's a great call and I'd love to see the She-Hulk Rachel haircut so I mean obviously that's the (laughs) that's the real pull we are going to save some time for live chat questions but before we do we have kind of like breaking news right now that I want to share with you guys and get your thoughts we got a brand new Birds of Prey teaser poster it's on the screen right there how we feel I know you guys can't see the detail but all the birds around her are the characters from the movie I I think this is beautiful I love the colors it's like can you picture something like this hanging from the rafters of a big movie theater it's like you can't not look at this design it looks like uh, it looks equal part marketing and like a like an obscure band I could see this at the Roxy as well as the movie theater. I could see this, and I really like that. I could see that plastered in West Hollywood on like like twenty of those up on a wall, Uh, and it's it's selling the movie correctly. Like I'm really excited for a like a messy Harley Quinn story. I think I don't know. That's really cute and brilliant. The little sort of cartoon cuckoo birds around the head. I love that. I just I'm so excited for this movie, Uh, especially, you know, I'm kind of like a fashion nut and I just feel like everything they're doing with the color and the style and the panache of the film looks really exciting. And I can't wait to see all the new crazy Harley Quinn costumes and that just I'm like, that's that's a color palette I need in my life in 2020. That it teaser, the the Birds of Prey uh, that opened in front of it, just that we had 30 seconds mm-hmm. of footage and every frame just had that striking color palette. Yeah. It's a movie that I've noticed the color more than I have in most movies. Well, and I'm also like, I'm really hyped right now on sort of this, um, to be a little, I don't know, weird for movie talk, but there's like this rise in sort of glittery, fun style that people are embracing. It was a really big thing post-Euphoria. Oh, like style, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it's sort of like uh, Euphoria kind of genuinely, I think, is one of the first things in a long time to change how people are doing their makeup on a broad scale. Like, mm-hmm. it's had a really big cultural impact in the makeup scene. And so I think this movie could do the same thing for fashion. And I always like to see uh, anything that inspires young women to be like, Oh, I'm going to dress that way because that's how I want to dress. I absolutely want to be head-to-toe glitter. Yes. Honey, you should bring it up. I just started Euphoria, so who knows? Oh. By the end of the week, I might come in with <laughs> You're going to have some, some you sequins never, on your face in no you time. You never know. All right, <laughs> yeah. let's get a I'm live chat question. <laughs> uh, the Comic Coalition is asking us, in the upcoming film Tall Grass, do you think there will be a scene with someone cutting grass? Dorian! <laughs> <laughs> Dorian's not awake right now. He's like, yeah, that's a question. There's a question Who mark. Who is? I'm going to throw the, yeah, like, we're all like, yeah, sure. He just <laughs> saw a question mark, like, sent it in. This is what I, I get it. for not pre-screening the damn questions. Uh, I, I, I like feel like odds so. are yeah, good. No, it's a high likelihood. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly, uh, That'd be my first move if I got trapped in some tall grass. <laughs> yeah. So that the, shit down. I mean, no one's cutting it down in the trailer. <laughs> well, it's a very small piece of the film. <laughs> there is this fight club in the movie Fight Club. I, I believe you there's a matrix in the film. The you matrix. don't want to give away the third act in your trailer. <laughs> as long as there's a monologue really while the tall lawnmower for that grass. <laughs> That's the third act climax. They did, finally take down the tall grass. Did you guys like the trailer? Is this another winning Stephen King adaptation in our future? I, there's a Stephen King hot streak right now, and as long as that grass gets mowed, I'm here for it. <laughs> 
Uh, yes, messy yards are truly terrifying. <laughs> I, I, it looks good. I really like Vincen- Vincenzo Natale. I'm a big yeah. fan of, uh, obviously Cube, but also, was it Splice? Splice. Yes. Splice I, is that's a, a messed up messed movie. Messed up movie. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. I love Splice. So I, I've been waiting for him to do, so he's been keeping busy on TV and doing great things, Hannibal, stuff like that. I, but I'm, I'm really excited to see him back <laughs> on screen, so to speak. Stop laughing I, about the grass. I'm trying see. to be smart. I'm just like, I've got this superhero suit up seat in my head where it's like a dad in like acid wash jeans and like you slowly see the white new balances go on and like the flannel shirt goes on and it's like sunscreen on the nose oh and then like this, this oh, dad just yeah, exactly like all the cutscene shots from Batman and Robin, but it's just dad wear and Love he just it. goes out to mow. Hey, Patrick Wilson would be perfect oh, for that role. Yeah. <laughs> I think we might have spoiled the film for ourselves. Third act twist. Patrick yeah. Wilson's here to mow. All right, I got one more question for you, and it's not going to get any better. But what can? All right, no, wait for this, and you guys get a, better get used to this because this is just going to be a thing. Collider fans is asking, do you consider a? <laughs> oh no! Can't do it. Do you consider a donut a type of bread? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, you bake it. Oh my god! It's fluffy. Do you bake it? Don't they get fried? I, well, I'm the last person donut? to answer Actually, that no, question. I don't know how you don't. Yeah, I would you not like put them in the little thing bread. and you dip it oh, yeah, and it so bubbles. Then, then it's not bread. Like, because... have you ever been to Universal uh, City Walk and gone to that donut shop and they they show you on the conveyor belt but the little crispy crust goes donuts? through that bakey thing, right? Oh, that's true. Krispy Kreme. Oh, Krispy Kreme. Yeah, Krispy Kreme <laughs> is pizza. Krispy Kreme <laughs> donuts is. But though you bake Krusty those, which is bread like. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a, and it's bread, like it's breading. But there's like a debate bread. to it's be carbs. had there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's is definitely not good like for you. Much like, like bread, don't eat a lot of it. Rice yeah. and other things, but. but you can turn it into a sandwich if you're a monster. With, there's tons of places Does out there have... that make donut sandwiches mm-hmm. now. I feel like we're not qualified on a culinary perspective, but does donut have yeast? And is yeast a requirement to Do qualify not look as bread? Science questions, fairy. Uh, I, I feel like it would depend on the eye of the beholder. I guarantee uh-huh. Homer Simpson would qualify it as a bread. But I think that, like, a nutritionist may not. <laughs> like, probably would encourage it not to be on the bottom of the food pyramid from the 90s. Well, glad we settled nothing but included our bread question in today's edition of Collider Movie Talk. That is a wrap on today's show. Ellie Coy, thank you guys so much thank for joining you. me. Uh, Dorian, thank you for demolishing the live chat today. Food, thank you for your hard work. And to everybody out there, do not leave this episode of Collider Movie Talk without liking and sharing it. And guess what's coming your way on Collider Live later today? They got a great guest. Sean Waynes is joining them at 10 a.m. Pacific, so tune in for that, and then tune in tomorrow at 9 a.m. PT for a brand new edition of Collider Movie Talk. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales prices not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. What's up? It's Kevin Hart. And with new rewards from Chase Freedom Unlimited, I now earn even more cash back, even on a beach getaway. I earn 3% of drugstores on beach snacks. Hmm, these chips have some staying on them. I earn 3% on dining, including takeout, after Seagull eats all my chips. And I earn 5% on travel purchased through Chase, like a hotel room to hide from that Seagull. Learn more at ChaseFreedom.com. Chase, make more of what's yours. Account subject to credit approval. Restrictions, limitations apply. Offer subject to change. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC.